Good morning, everybody. Hey, we're going to be uh, in Psalms. Like uh, Pastor Mike said, uh, we started a study in Leviticus. I'm not in Leviticus. You can thank me later for that uh, this morning. But we are going to dive in on Wednesday night. really encourage you to come out. Um, looking forward to diving into that book. But um, Steve's in 1 Corinthians. I'm in Leviticus. That kind of left open for this morning. And I just want to share something with you, and I, I know a lot of people say this, but I'm, I'm saying it and I'm meaning it. I want to just share something that's from my heart, uh, share something that God is uh, working on in my life, and uh, it's found uh, probably in a lot of places, but a, a great place to jump off from is uh, Psalm 90, so that's 9-0. So if you crack your Bible open to about middle point, you're probably close. Uh, Psalm chapter 90, and what I want to do is just read the whole psalm, and I'm not going to expound on the whole psalm, uh, but I'll mention some things about it, but then I I just want to zero in on one particular verse, um, and then we'll go from there. So don't lose me, hang in there, I know I'm reading from a different version than some of you guys have, Um, I'm reading from the ESV if you're curious, Um, but just follow best you can, let's read, I'll read, you follow. Uh, Psalm 90, verse 1. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations, and before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and you say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, and they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes, and it's renewed. In the evening it fades and is withered. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, and our secret sins are in the light of your presence. For all the days, all our days, excuse me, Pass under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or if by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and the wrath according to the fear of you? Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as uh, you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and let your glorious power to the children Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We praise you. Like I said, first service, I love reading it out loud. Even just hearing it out loud to me is so refreshing, life-giving, And Father, I want to pray right now that your Holy Spirit, please, would just take control of this room. Every thought, Lord, capture our thoughts, bring us and get our attention like little children that sometimes need their dad to just kind of hold their head still and say, listen, 
Do that to us today. Please give me the grace to share your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalm 90. Psalm, how many of you guys are familiar with that psalm, by the way? A couple of you guys. It's a great psalm. We'll talk more about that um, in a minute. But um, I was thinking about this because um, one of my favorite movies in the world is What About Bob? I got half of you guys on that one. So there's this scene in What About Bob? And uh, I don't usually recommend movies from the pulpit because it's, it's, it's uh, dicey to do that. But um, What About Bob is funny. There's, you know, Bob's got, he's got issues. And he's at his uh, psychiatrist vacation home, which is a whole another story in itself. But he's sitting on the bed with the psychiatrist's son, right? You guys remember this scene? Am I by myself here? Okay. Um, and the, the psychiatrist's son is like, overly obsessed with the idea of death, like in an unhealthy way. And I, the, the son is sitting there, and he's just contemplating. He's like, I'm going to die. I am going to die. I am going to die. I am going to die. And, uh, and then he looks over at Bob, and he goes, you are going to And Bob's just getting more and more anxious with every sentence. And it's just kind of, it, it ends up, at, you're saying, is that funny? Well, it's funny in the movie. It's not funny right now, but it's funny in the movie. you got to take my word for it. But it's a reality. It is a reality. You know, the stats are, are still holding strong. 100% of people die. It's just the way it is. And that reality is something that we spend a lot of energy and time pushing away from the forefront of our mind. But at some point, it's something we need to deal with because it's coming. Barring the rapture of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm down for that. Can I get an amen on that one? The Bible actually teaches, if you don't know this, take hope, the Bible actually teaches that there's coming a day, a day that there's actually a generation that won't taste physical death, that there's a generation of people or believers in Christ specifically, that Jesus is going to come in the clouds and with a trumpet blast, he's going to call us up to be with him in the clouds. And I love this part, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen? In a moment, a twinkling of an eye, nobody knows. It could be today. It could be next week. We don't know. But barring that event known as the rapture, we're going to die. Welcome to church. <laughs> You're going to die. That's what I want to talk about. But let me talk first about the psalm that I read and, and the connection here. So Psalm 90 is probably the oldest psalm in the book, little fun fact. I don't know if you need to know that or not, but it's, it was, I read that, so I wanted to show you how much studied I am. Um, Psalm 90 is probably one of the oldest ones because it's written by Moses. Moses may or may not have written other psalms. We don't know, but we know for sure this one is attributed to him. And so think about that. Think about Moses, the time in which he was living and the exodus and all of those things. And he pens this psalm that is called a prayer in the title. You might have noticed that. It says a prayer of Moses. And that's really at the heart of what he's doing. It's a song, but it's a prayer. And in this song that's a prayer, there's a theme. And the main theme, and I'm not going to get into the, the ins and outs of it. I'm just going to give it to you. You can take it and run with it later. But the theme of this psalm is basically this. The frailty and the brevity of life in juxtaposition or compared to the eternality of God. In other words, life is short and God is eternal. He holds those two things up, and they're kind of interwoven throughout the whole psalm, calling God the creator, and from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In other words, you had no beginning, God, and you had no end. And then he contrasts that with us. He says our lives, and he calls it, are like a sigh. 
How long does a sigh last? <laughs> That's about it. And yet we serve this God who is eternal. And the point that he's making is, is not only is that God is eternal, but that we who are living this short breath of a life, when that life is over, we will also enter into eternity. Does that make sense? We are eternal beings. I don't know if you know that, but the Bible says that we've been created in God's image, and that means a lot of things, and part of what that means is that we are also eternal beings. We're not God, I'm not saying we're God, but what I'm saying is we, once we are created, we will live on forever and ever and ever and ever. You have a spirit within you. I have a spirit within you. This is what separates us from the animal world, if you would. We are going to go and be with God forever. You are an eternal being. Daniel chapter 12, somewhere around verses 2 and 3. John chapter 5, Jesus drawing on what Daniel said in Daniel 12 chapter 12 verses 2 and 3, where he says, some will be resurrected unto eternal life, some will be resurrected into basically death. What it means is when we close our eyes in this world, when we physically die, our spirit, the real us, will live on forever, and we will be given a resurrection body at some point, and that resurrection body at some point will either live in the presence of God forever and ever and ever in, the, in full joy in the presence of our, of our creator, or we will be separated from God and live, in Jesus' words, in eternal punishment and damnation where the worm never dies in his utter darkness forever and ever and ever. And that's heavy. So this is where I'm going with this. And, um, but let me just start by saying, look, look at verse 12. And I apologize if, you know, I, I hesitate to even say this, but I said it to first service, so I'll, I'll, this is my out today. I realize that this may not be a really, like, polished sermon. I was telling somebody, I've given hundreds of sermons. I mean, it's not a braggadocious thing. It's just that time, you know, like, I've been doing this for 20-some years, and I've, if you do the math, I've done a, pro, hundreds of sermons. I, I don't know if I've ever felt so unprepared than this morning. <laughs> But it's not from a lack of not trying or studying or praying or seeking God or taking notes or trying to outline something and this and that. But it seems like every time I turned around, I just was banging my head against the wall. And I don't really know exactly what to say in outline form or whatever. But I do know God is stirring something very real in my heart. And the heart of that is tucked into verse 12. Where Moses says, So dot, 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 meaning so, or therefore in light of what this psalm is about, which is the brevity and the frailty of life, teach us, meaning we don't naturally think this way, so I'm needing you, God, to help me teach us to number our days. The word number there literally means, it's a, 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 an accounting word. It means to reckon or add up and draw a line and have a bottom line with a number. It means to take a census. What he's saying is do the math. Number my days so that, here's the kicker, we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Or some translations say present to God a heart of wisdom. Are you guys tracking with that reasoning? So, because life is frail and brief, teach me, because I don't naturally think this way, 
to number my days, do the math. Why? So that I can apply my life to wisdom. In other words, so I don't waste my life. Help me number my days so I don't waste them. That's what he's saying. How many of you guys are figuring out that life is short? All the old people raise their hands. Yeah. Anybody 30 and up, I think, not that 30 is old, but like, you get to a point in life where you're like, what's going on? I have a 25-year-old son. When did that happen? Weirder than that, I've got a four-year-old son. How did that happen? You know, like, you know, like, we're time. You know, he, JJ just had his fourth birthday. I'm like, wait a minute, we just literally brought him home, like, yesterday. How is he four? Four years. You know, like, when you're older, you're like, oh, that's going to be a four-year commitment. Four years? Okay, no problem. Do that standing on my head. When you're young, you're like, four years? That's like my whole life. You know, like, so long. But it, you get to a point where you realize life's going fast. It is zooming by. It's short. We're here for a short time. And what this guy is saying, what Moses is saying is, in light of that, in light of the fact that we're eternal beings, that this, this life may be short, but the one we're going to experience for the rest of eternity, and let that tweak your brain for a little bit, the rest of eternity with no end is going to go on and on and on and on and on and on, either in the presence of God or in separation from God. That's going to go forever. And here's the weird thing. Though this life, breath of a life, the sigh of a life that we're living right now is so short, somehow it hugely matters in the rest of eternity. To quote Gladiator. <laughs> what we do on earth echoes in eternity, and there's some truth to that. Thank you, Maximus. <laughs> Somehow what we do with our days here count and matter and set the trajectory of what eternity is going to be like for us. And he says, so do the math Number your days. And I, I think what he's saying too, by the way, is he's not saying, well, let me back up. What did he say before this? He said, look, the span of our life is at like 70 years. If you're really strong, 80 years. Now, that's a generalization. We all know people that are either younger than that or older than that. But generally speaking, he's like, look, we, we live about 80 years. And by the way, did you get his little, uh, little, his, um, little uh, comment on, on life? He says, and the, the span of them are toil and trouble. Here's what Moses is saying. You live 80 years, it's really hard, then you die. There's life. Boom. He says you got 80 years on this planet, so number them. Make them count. And the idea is not so much the number of the days that counts. It's that each number, whatever it is, that you make it count. That's the wisdom. Amen? Now, you got to be a little bit careful here because I was thinking about this. And, you know, somebody who's not a Christian, um, our, our culture even picks up on this reality. Our culture understands we're not going to live forever. So I want to live life and make it count. But there can be kind of a wrong wisdom in that. There can be this worldly wisdom that's just like, so I guess that means i got to get everything out of life that I can because once I'm gone, I'm gone and it doesn't matter. So, I mean, that can translate into all kinds of lifestyles, can it? hedonism, just going for it. You know, I was, I was kind of reminiscing. I grew I'm a total child of the 80s, and I remember seeing the bumper sticker in the 80s that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. 
And that pretty much summed up the 80s. Bigger is better, everything, opulent, more. I had a boom box one time. Yes, a boom box, okay? I, I'm dating myself. It's a tape player. What's a tape? Well, I, we could go all day with this, but it was a, basically a tape player with speakers, and it was cool, but you know what? I just remember watching them get bigger and bigger and bigger as if that was better, and if you could barely hold it on your shoulder, you've arrived. I mean, that was it, <laughs> right? And I, I'm not some sociological guy who I can comment on every generation. I do think it was funny in the 90s, it went from like all the stuff and big and big hair and big everything to just like extreme, extreme sports, extreme drinks, no fear, you know, that whole thing and then whatever. But whatever culture, whatever the vibe is at the time, it's basically people saying this, we're going to get everything we can out of this life. You know, we live in this culture right now where I think the younger generation coming up, they've seen through the lie of all the stuff and all of the things. And, and, and maybe, oh, I don't want to spend my days in a cubicle, you know, working nine, ten hours a day or whatever. So I'm just going to experience life. And there's not anything necessarily wrong with wanting to experience life. But we're in this existential kind of like, it, life is all about life right now. And guys, here's what we need to understand. No, it's not. And we have let the culture of the world creep into the church to live our best life now. It is not about living your best life now. It's about living your best life later. And what's going to determine how best it is is how we live our life right now. So in a sense, yeah, we need to live our best life now, but I think it's going to look a lot different than we think. It's not going to be self-indulgent. It's not going to be about me. It's about living for eternity and living for the kingdom of God. Amen? And he says, number your days. Don't waste your life. And I'm really, this is where I just want to share my heart. And, and, and from this point on, I, I, I just want to share, that this is why I'm bringing this up. Because, you know, it's during that few days of fasting and prayer that we had as a church, which I thought was phenomenal, just an amazing time. And I don't always get a ton out of those, those days that we do that. But during that time, this, this time around, I really feel like the Lord began to put something on my heart, and it's basically this. But the way that it came to me was in more of a question form of this. Do I really believe in eternity? Do I really believe in heaven? Do I really believe in hell? And my knee jerk is yes, of course I do, because I know the theology. But guys, there's a world of difference between agreeing to a doctrinal statement on the back of a bulletin and yet letting that truth sink down into your heart and therefore sink into every area and aspect of my life. Does that make sense? It's not enough to just uh, have some intellectual assent to, yes, there is some eternal thing out there. You see, I look at the lives of men and women in the Bible and throughout history like Paul and Peter and John and missionaries and, and people... From, from their time all the way into our time, and I look at lives that are radical for Jesus, that lay their lives down, and I think one of the active ingredients, and I like that phrase because it makes me think of pharmaceuticals. You know, like when you look at a pharmaceutical and it's like, I'm not interested in the inactive ingredients. What's the active ingredient? I think one of the active ingredients in people that are living all out for the kingdom of God I'm not saying it's the only thing, but one of the main things is that they really, truly believe in eternity. They understand that they are not here forever, that they're passing through. What the Bible says is true. The Bible calls us strangers, aliens, pilgrims. We're passing through. We have a very short time, and what we do at that time on this earth matters, and so we don't have time to waste it. 
And the people I want to be like are the people that live like eternity is real. And the reason it's challenging to me is because I don't think I do that. And I'm not really, this isn't even for you. I mean, you guys can go home. I'm preaching to me today. Not really, but if you want to come with me on this journey, I invite you. But I'm struggling. Honestly, I'm grappling. Because I'm not sure my lifestyle matches up to what I say I believe. I know it does to a certain degree, and I'm not like, like just all down on myself or whatever, but I'm trying to be honest with myself, and I'm trying to be honest before God, and I'm trying to say, God, why is it, if I say I believe in eternity, why do I have no compassion for the lost people that are around me every day? Because if I really believe in heaven or hell, that means every single person I bump into is an eternal soul that is destined for hell or destined for heaven. Oh, God, give me compassion for them. Oh, God, open a door for me to talk to them. But I don't because I'm scared of how they might think of me or react. What if I really believe this stuff? What if I honestly believe? See, it'll change everything. It'll change the way you think about people. It'll change the way you think about suffering. The Bible says that the, the things, the light and momentary afflictions, as Paul called it, the guy who was beaten, who, who knows how many times for the sake of Christ, he calls them light, momentary, you know, inconveniences, basically, because the glory that's waiting for us cannot be revealed or compared to the stuff we're going to now. I don't have that perspective, do you? To be able to pers- just, just persevere and endure, because why? Heaven's coming. This body's giving out, but that's okay. Heaven's coming. And finances. You know, we, 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 we get our stuff, and, we, and, and, and finances aren't bad in and of themselves, and it's not bad to have a lot of them or whatever, but, but are we using, do we really believe what Jesus said when he said, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal? But here's what you can do with your goods. You can invest them in the things of God in eternity and send them forward. Am I using my finances in a way that glorify God and further the kingdom of God? Giving, helping, using, or is it just about me and hoarding? You know what I'm saying? And you don't have to be super rich to hoard. You can be poor and hoard. It's a matter of the heart. So many areas that just I just say, Lord, I, and, and, and please, just because I get excited doesn't mean I'm trying to come down like in some like guilt way. It is not meant to be that at all. Please hear my heart in this. I, I just, I'm just saying, God, I want to be real about this thing, and I'm not there, so I'm, I'm just echoing the prayer of Moses. Moses evidently had a hard time with it too. That's why he says, teach me. And that's all I'm saying. God, teach me. Help me. I don't want to waste my life. I want to live for the kingdom of God. I don't want to give in to the God of comfort and ease and, incon- you know, and convenience. I look at men and women who, you know, I was reading this book and there's, um, I wish I would have brought it with me. I'd love to quote it. But basically it was from years ago and this man who was getting ready to go on the mission field and he writes um, a letter to his um, future father-in-law asking for his daughter's hand in marriage, but the way he did it was this, are you willing to never see your daughter again because we're going to this place in the world and you probably are never going to see her again and she'll probably be tortured and killed for her faith in Christ, are you willing to give her away in marriage to me? She did and she went. 
What about Jamelia who said, he's no fool who loses what he, let me just read that right so I don't get that wrong. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 1958, January 8th, he was killed trying to reach this tribe of Indians in Ecuador. And that's a great, you know, tragic story, but man, we go, oh man, what a guy gave his life. Well, his wife took their three-year-old kid and went and lived among the tribe that murdered their husband so they could share Jesus with him. What causes people to do that? I heard about a missionary just yesterday, and this is, he's telling a story, and he was talking about how, you know, he's in Nigeria, I think it was, and he was, he was going to, to this place, and he felt like God was calling him to this particular region, but he didn't know what city, so he left his wife at home, and he just, he went, and he was going through from city to city, praying, looking for confirmation, is this it, Lord, is this it, and he went to these really nice cities, as he puts it, they had really nice roads, I've been to Africa several times, and if you can get good roads, you're stoked, anyways, He's like, they're good roads, good food, good things. Good, and, and, and God was like, nope, 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 nope. He goes to this little tiny village, no good roads, no good anything. He's on a bus in the middle of the night trying to get there. It breaks down. He says, the Holy Spirit says, get off the bus. He just gets off the bus. And then he looks over, and this car comes, slows down, turns off its life, lights. And they just open fire with a machine gun on everybody in the bus. He runs for his life. He jumps down. He's crawling through. The forest was so thick he had to crawl, and you can hear the, the, the bullets going over his head. And while he's crawling, the Holy Spirit says, this is the town I want you to come to. And he's like, yes, Lord. You want me to bring my wife here? Yeah. What causes people to do that? Partly it's because people that realize it's not about me and my safety, and my comfort, and my life, and my wants. It's about living in complete and total surrender and obedience to my Lord and Savior who gave his life for me. And regardless of whatever happens to me, it doesn't matter as long as I'm obedient to him. Amen? I'm not saying we all need to move to Ecuador or go to some unreached tribe. If God calls you to do that, then do it. Live dangerously for Christ if that's what he's calling you to do. The vast majority of us, you know where we're going to go? To work tomorrow. But you can go to work tomorrow with eternity's values in view. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, your whole world can change without changing anything outwardly. You can go to work tomorrow and you can say, God, I'm at work, but I don't want to waste my days at this work, at this job. You put me here, and Lord, it's not about me and, and how I feel about this place. Lord, what about the people that I work with that don't know Jesus yet? Lord, show me. Give me an opportunity. Open a door for me to mention Christ. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for this. I'm gonna, do you understand what I'm saying? You can go to school differently. I remember when I was 15 or 16, I went on my first missions trip to, to Mexico. I came back and I had an epiphany. I'm not going to school to learn. I'm going to school because that's my mission field. Now, I don't know if my parents agreed with that epiphany. Of course, I was going there to learn too. But you guys understand what I'm saying? Like something clicked in my head like I didn't do it right the whole time, but there, that, that little switch was flipped. I got you in the school right now at this time because you are surrounded by people that know Jesus and your pastor ain't coming to school. You're here. Do you understand what I'm saying? How we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we look at people. What if we actually believed in eternity? And I just want to challenge you with that. Not in a way, that, again, that's guilting or anything like that. Honestly, I just want it to be an honest evaluation. 
I want us to just be like Moses and be like, you know what, let's take a step back and let's look at this thing. We got about 80 years. And then we're moving on. That's, that's the facts. So in light of that, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I imagine that for like the vast majority of us, if, we, if you listen to the word today, the proper response for the mass, vast majority of us might just be a, a, a small adjustment of, uh, or two. Where you just, the Lord, the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something, you go, you know what, Lord, yeah, he's right. And the way I've been using my finances has been so selfish, and I, I want to start giving again to that missionary or to this cause or tithe or whatever it is. Or maybe it's an attitude of like, Lord, I've just, I've forgotten that the people around me are eternal beings and they and just help. It might be something like that that you have to wrestle with. And maybe for some of you, it's huge. I wonder if God's calling one or two or three of you to say, you know, this is bigger than that for you. For you, I'm asking you, are you ready to die for me? Are you ready to give up your life? Not necessarily physically die for me, although that's a good question to ask. But are you ready to let me have all of your life? Are you ready to lay your education down, your degree down, your dreams down, your everything down and say, Lord, I want to live my life for you in total surrender. And I want to encourage you to respond to that today or at least grapple with it. At least honestly grapple with it. Go get along with Jesus and talk to him about it. Amen? I have so many scriptures I could read and things I wanted to say and this and that, but at the end of the day, you guys, this is it. Just feel like God wanted us to consider this today. And I have a sneaky suspicion it's because his son is coming soon. Jesus is on his way. And that doesn't mean we circle the wagons and just say, kumbaya, come Lord, yeah. It means with urgency we say, God, I'm either going to die or you're coming back. And I don't want to waste this life living it for me. So, Lord, what do you want to do? Let's go. Amen? I just want to give us some time to pray. I think that's really important. Um, so, yeah. Right where you're sitting right now, um, I'm just going to invite you to do something that you, I could lose you here or this could be really important. I'm going to ask you just to take a moment to pray between you and the Lord, not your wife and you, just you. And if you're not into it, that's fine, but please don't bother somebody else who's sitting next to you. Give them a privacy. Can we just bow our heads right now and just, I'm letting, I want you to talk to God about what he wants to do in your life. How are you going to deal with this? What does this mean?